Hi everyone, this is Rafael Michner, founder of Balsa, and this is The 49%. In today's episode, I chat with Jacob Henderson about how he got started in real estate and how he continues to learn more. I can't wait to share this conversation with you all, so let's dive right in. Um, Hi, Jacob. Thank you so much for joining our podcast today. Super excited to talk with you and share some of your story. So Jacob and I first met a few years ago, actually working at a real estate tech startup. Um, But for those of us joining, listening in today, Jacob, can you share a little bit more about your background, what you're currently up to and how you got into the real estate space? Absolutely. So thanks for having me, uh, first of all. And a little bit about my background. <clears throat> so uh, right away, I just want to, you know, I'm a certified public accountant and I'm a real estate tax professional. And I'm currently working at a real estate investment company called Wedgwood, which is based out of uh, Southern California here in Redondo Beach. Um, and I'm also a real estate investor. So kind of my background and how I got into this whole thing is um, my mom has owned a triplex property for 35 plus years. So pretty much as long as I've been alive and growing up, I did a lot of um, helping her kind of like free labor and in terms of uh, vetting tenants, um, turning the units of the, of the triplex when one would move out. Um, and so <clears throat> to me growing up, like it was super normal and I never thought about it as an asset. I just thought this is what we do. This is what everybody does. As I got older, found out, hey, this is a really cool thing to have. And the triplex that we have is in a really hot area um, in a beach city in El Segundo here. So I just found myself wanting to learn more and more about real estate so that I could be a better asset to the family and um, understand what we had and how to best utilize it. So I went to school for undergrad at Loyola Marymount here in Los Angeles, and I did an accounting degree And so after graduating LMU, like most accounting majors, I did the public accounting route. And that's when I got my uh, CPA license kind of knocked out. But the entire time I was helping self-manage this triplex property while going to school and and starting my career in public accounting. And I started gravitating more towards client work that involved anything real estate. I just wanted to learn as much as I could. So if you had um, partnerships that held real estate or individuals, high net worth individuals that had real estate. I worked on international clients that held, had U.S. real estate, and I just became kind of a junkie and always taking work, anything real estate, I wanted to touch it. And then that translated to me becoming more sophisticated with um, analyzing the triplex property that we had and figuring out really cool value add opportunities for the triplex where we could increase the rents um, during unit turns and stuff like that. So kind of complemented the triplex piece. Um, After four years in public accounting, I was ready for a change and I wanted more of a real estate focus on the front end as opposed to on the tax side of real estate, you're dealing with stuff after the fact for year end reporting. Um, I wanted to also know how are investors and people with these portfolios analyzing markets, properties? Um, how are they making the decisions? What are they looking at? 
So that's what led me to Pier Street where you and I met um, because I thought that there was a lot of cutting edge technology and they're doing really cool, interesting stuff with real estate that I hadn't really seen before. And I wanted to just get more involved there. So <clears throat> that's where we met. And after Pier Street, um, I ended up here. I have a great opportunity at Wedgwood now where I'm a, a tax consultant effectively in their tax practice. And they're just doing all kinds of really interesting stuff with real estate. I thought that I knew what I was doing before coming into Wedgwood, but then I realized I know probably 1% of stuff that's going on and how people are making money with it. So that's, that's what I'm currently doing as a super long explanation, but that's kind of the, the origin and I'm still, still doing the self-managing of the triplex as well. Awesome. Well, it sounds like real estate has been a part of your life for a very long time. Um, I also myself learned a lot from my parents. They've been up to different things in the space for years. So super cool that, that you had that influence growing up. Um, and then also in your professional career, um, you've tapped into different parts of the market as well. Um, would love to know kind of how you jumped into your first personal real estate investment. And if you could tell us a little bit more about what that was um, and how it's doing now. Okay, definitely. Yeah. So first, first personal investment property, I was still in public accounting. So this is in 2016 and at a local gym that I was going to at 24 hour fitness, actually, I was taking classes this kind of group, group hit training, whatever classes. And I met this really cool couple from uh, Indiana and we hit it off and I kind of told them, Hey, I'm, I'm in tax and I'm trying to get more involved with real estate. And I've got some experience from this triplex thing. And it turned out he was, uh, he's a construction project manager and he was super interested in getting started in investment real estate as well, but hadn't bought anything at that point. So it was kind of a natural complementary relationship where he had all the connections with any kind of renovation stuff. And then I was the um, kind of analytical tax mind. And so we partnered up and through our collective network, we got an opportunity to buy a single family home in Lawndale, which is um, Manhattan Beach adjacent community. It's a pretty small city, but still considered in the South Bay. So we bought a three bed, one and a half bath, single family uh, house here and had a ton of good luck with it. Off market deal. I learned a lot about negotiating purchase price and it was a crash course in just the entire transaction from talking directly with the sellers all the way through um, purchasing the property and then going into renovations and ultimately getting the property rented out um, I'm very grateful that I had the partner that I did because he was super organized and just made the whole, um, kind of like where my deficiencies were, which is actually mapping out a project, having a budget, all of these things. Um, he, that, that was like easy for him. That's, that's basic. Um, so, and then when it came time to do any tax reporting and whatnot, that's where I came in. So it was, it was really helpful because at that point I had only done simple unit turns with the triplex and it was mostly cosmetic stuff. So new paint, you know, maybe you're updating a kitchen, maybe appliance went out and you got to throw in a new appliance, but to do kind of a ground up interior renovation um, at that time to me was way overwhelming. And so 
having my partner Chris on this project was amazing. And because we were 50-50 partners, you know, we both had the same amount of skin in the game and we were both very much uh, uh, involved in the, in the project. And I got to do a lot of DIY stuff and learn alongside a professional, which was great to have that kind of guidance when you're, when you're in uncharted waters like that. Um, but that's, that's the first investment. So that was bought in 2017, um, rented out as soon as renovations were completed. And we sold that in September of 2020. So just a little over a year ago, um, right as kind of the market took a big bump with the interest rate um, activity related to COVID and a bunch of other factors, but awesome so that, was kind of, that was the first deal. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I love how you described it as a crash course. Um, I think that's how a lot of people feel when they're purchasing their first property. So I love yeah. that comparison. Yeah. Um, I guess to that point, what, what do you feel is the biggest challenge um, of making your first investment? Oh man. Uh, hold on. I got a nice list for you. Uh, so, so at, at, so newbie mentioned the analysis paralysis, that's a hundred percent accurate. So I, I'm going to echo that, but I've got kind of other, other challenges. I think that's, especially for someone that's more of an analytical mind or a numbers person, or just a conservative person, you know, you're, you're trying to figure all this stuff out and, and you almost, you almost over figure it out and you talk yourself out of taking a plunge or doing, doing an opportunity or doing a deal. Um, so that's, that's definitely real. But so other than that, that I agree with her on the stuff, other stuff that came to mind was just getting an understanding of all the moving pieces that are involved with um, getting involved with real estate. So, I mean, things like understanding how your credit score plays a role um, from a lending standpoint, I think something really cool that um, I'm not sure how much exposure you had at Pier Street, but I was doing real estate analytical work. And so I was doing a lot of underwriting at Pier Street. And so understanding what an underwriter looks at from qualifying a borrower, I thought that was really cool to be able to see things on the other side of the wall of like, what, what are these lenders and underwriters looking at when you or I come with an application for a home loan? And so kind of understanding what they're looking at in their shoes was really, really helpful. And it's definitely a moving piece. If you, if you know what the underwriter is looking for or what's going to either help or hurt you, you can kind of anticipate the questions before they come up and you can make yourself as attractive as possible from a lending standpoint. So, so that's kind of one of the moving pieces, your credit score, your purchasing power, also like a market, understanding a market analysis, but not to the, not to the extent that you're kind of crippling yourself from making a decision. So, and, and it's overwhelming. So I think for me, that's why my bread and butter, my comfort area is South Bay and specifically single family residences. Um, you could go South Bay commercial is probably completely different. And there's a whole bunch of different ways to play that game. I don't, I don't do that. I kind of stay in my lane because there's so many different things to do, even within a narrow kind of view that um, you kind of just want to play to your strengths with the market. And with market analysis, I just think if you keep your eye on, on a certain area for long enough, you'll start to notice trends and, and you'll be able to understand and have your own opinion on, is this, am I paying too much or not? Is the market as a whole high or is it low? 
Is this a discount? Why is it discounted? Understanding all those pieces, like, is it a discount because this thing's a POS and like, you're going to have to do a ton of work. Okay. Well, if that's the case, do I have the resources and the connections to get the work done? What's the extent of the work? Is this out, out, out of my range of ability or not? Um, so those are just like some of the moving pieces. Like I said, understand there's a ton of moving pieces. There always will be. That's just the way the game is. But the more that you learn about it and what those, those components are, the more that um, you'll un they, it won't be as overwhelming, I guess. Um, another one I put down was committing cash. So I know that um, when I graduated LMU, I didn't have a bunch of cash in my pocket. I had a bunch of student loan debt. So starting in public accounting, you're making pretty competitive salary. And I finally felt like I started to save up some money. And then all of a sudden this, this opportunity comes up. That's amazing opportunity to buy this house in Lawndale. But there's also, you know, I've got a, a partner who's a project manager and he slaps a budget in front of me and says, look, we're going to have to spend X, Y, and Z. And then you factor in your closing costs, your down payment, all of these things, how many months you're going to have to float the mortgage until you can get a tenant in there. You start factoring all this stuff in and a cushion. Um, and all of a sudden it's like, oh man, I just finally started saving money and now I'm about to spend all this money. So I think that's, that's something to just kind of get over because if you, if you believe in the market and you, and you, and you buy smart, you're not really spending it. You're kind of just parking the money temporarily and it's going to come back to you um, because that, that money is actually your equity. So, so it's safe. It's not going anywhere. It's, it's just in a different form. It's just converted from liquid to, to less liquid asset. So kind of getting, and, and I think being in, in a financial profession, it's easier to process that and understand, look at it like that. But even so, like, it's still hard to know, Hey, I just finally saved up 20 grand. And guess what? That that's the tip of the iceberg. Like you got, you know, that'll maybe cover your closing costs, down payment. We're not even talking about renovations yet. So I think committing cash, understanding the moving pieces, and then kind of with the committing cash is just understanding the difference between um, taking on debt versus debt that can be serviced. So when you're getting a property, depending on the market, I know Southern California the most, these houses are expensive. Whatever you buy here is going to be expensive. So you're going to have a mortgage that's a ton of money. And for me, that was a little bit of sticker shock because I'm, you know, you got tens of thousands of dollars of student loan debt. And then you're looking at this opportunity that seems good, but then you know that you're going to owe 400, 500, $600,000 tied to your name, your social security number. And it's kind of a shock, but if you have a game plan where the debt's going to be serviced by a tenant, then it's really kind of understanding your, your risk exposure and understanding how to manage that debt. And that it's, it's, it's a, it's still debt, but it's a different type of debt. It's debt that's being serviced. And so I think that's a big concept that's hard to swallow for a lot of people. And that, and that may be something that deters people from, from jumping in is taking on that debt and not wanting to feel like they're on the hook or owing or owing that amount of money. Cause that, that's a, it's a ton of money. It's definitely more money than most people make in a year. So the fact that you think about owing that is, I think it is pretty intimidating. So those are kind of the main the main things that I thought about with challenges, thinking back to what what made me think twice or what kept me up at night before I was like, all right, just go, let's just do the house. So, yeah. Um, awesome. Thank you for sharing. There's a lot to unpack there. Um, I think a big one that 
you know, first time property buyers can relate to is the cash you need to close on a property, especially in a place like Southern California, where we're seeing these like crazy prices. Any like advice or anything you can share um, with people in terms of like, as a first buyer, first time buyer, um, are there different ways to get around kind of these big, big down payments that you might imagine that you need? Um, yeah, so there's there's a ton of different products. Um, and as far as getting around, you know, each each one has its own pro and con. I think some that people may be more familiar with are FHA loans, which are a lower a lower percentage down payment amount. Um, but again, everything comes with pros and cons. So uh, I don't have an exact listing of the of the features of these loans, but most lenders, uh, private private mortgage lenders, are happy to talk your ear off about. Hey, these these are the different products that we offer. I know that there's also conventional loans. You don't have to put twenty percent down. That's just a misconception. Um, you can put lower amount down. But again, lower amount comes with mortgage insurance. So there's kind of trade offs with each product, uh, a product that I got into on a recent deal that I did that you might kind of be referring to right now is the a VA, so like a veteran loan product. And I have a partner on a new deal that I did who's a military veteran. And so this was the first time that I had ever been exposed to this loan product. Normally I'd, I'd heard of it, but I didn't really pay attention to it because I didn't serve in the military. So I'm thinking it doesn't really apply to me. Um, but once I, met this partner, uh, I really wanted to research this more and understand, hey, what, what kind of benefits are there that exist? And the, this VA loan product is pretty serious in terms of being able to get your foot in this market right now because it's 0% it's down <clears throat> and the interest rate is super competitive. I think we locked a 2.375%, which is, wow, it's ridiculous. And then and then there's no PMI, so there's no mortgage insurance. So you're putting no money down and there's no mortgage insurance. It's pretty much a no brainer. But I mean, these, these are the benefits that are given to people who have served in the military for our country. So it makes sense. Um, but that's just to say there's a ton of, there's a ton of products. There's probably more that I don't even know about. Um, so be curious and don't be afraid to get on a phone call with a lender. Like that, that's their job is to educate you. I found just through kind of trial and error and doing different um, deals, making different phone calls, you'll link up with the right person that wants to, to share this information. And I'm sure even through the community that you've kind of created, there's probably lenders, real estate agents, or agents that know lenders that, that you can all refer each other and you'll find the right person. I've got a really good guy uh, with Sierra Pacific Mortgage who whether I give him business or not, and I've given him business over the years, he lets me call him anytime. And I'll, I'll have a list of hypothetical questions, whether it's stuff that I dreamed up or something I read in the Wall Street Journal or heard somebody talking about. And I'll say, hey, Andrew, you know, what if I did X, Y, and Z? And we'll walk through the whole hypothetical that, okay, you can do this, you can't do that. This is what would happen. Here's how much it would cost. Let me run the numbers for you. Do you get a guy like that in your corner? You're going to understand how things are going to play out before you press the button. So you can kind of position yourself to be in the best place possible for, you know, get, getting what you're trying to get, getting into whatever market you're trying to get into 
and finding what products are available, like loan wise that are going to work for your situation. Um, yeah, definitely be curious. Love that advice. Um, and I think the sooner rather than later, because you can kind of understand what you need. Maybe if you want to purchase in a few years, um, lenders definitely can explain all your different options because there are so many options out there. Um, it is quite eye-opening. Yeah, um, it's, I think, it's pretty crazy. I think another um, interesting challenge you mentioned that um, I hear from a lot of other prospective first-time purchasers um, is student debt. Can you kind of like unpack that? Do you think student debt should be a blocker to getting on the property ladder? Um, any thoughts on that topic? Um, I, you know, it's, it's, it's not really a one size fit all kind of answer. It really depends on you, on your specific situation. I had a professor that, uh, we used to joke and he would say, oh, well, if you, if you default on your student loan, they can't take away your degree, you know, versus if you default on a house, they, they take that away. So, um, but that's not to say don't pay your student loan. It's just to say <laughs> that it really depends on your situation for me. I kind of looked at it as uh, like a, a rate arbitrage. So I'm looking at what, what am I paying in, in student loan interest expense versus what will I be receiving as an ROI? And that's also a big thing to unpack because how do you define ROI on real estate? There's a ton of different ways to look at it. Cash on cash, appreciation, equity pay down, tax benefits. So I'm not going to sit here and say there's like one metric one-to-one, but you kind of have to look at it holistically, like the big picture. And it kind of comes down to a simple question for me. If I owe 20 grand in my student loan and I can wipe it all out or there's opportunity costs, could I put that 20 grand to use and get my foot started, get my foot in the door on, on a real estate property? To me, it's a no brainer. I'll just keep chipping away that student loan debt with the minimum payments. And I'm going to go into that real estate debt because it's like putting gas to a flame. You're going to just accelerate your, your, your growth, your, your dollar value is going to increase and you're going to have more opportunities for, for me personally, I still owe student loan money and I, and I own more than a million dollars of real estate right now. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. I would still make the same decision if I could do it all over again, because if you snowball your deals, you can just wipe out all your student loan debt in, in one, in one, you know, bit versus if you, if I would have taken that 20 and paid off the student loan debt, I wouldn't have got into Lawndale and that wouldn't have allowed me to, to, to catapult myself into the next property that I did. So it's kind of case by case. If, you, if you've got a plan, that's what it comes down to. If you've got a plan and you understand how things are going to work out, then have confidence and, and jump into that. But again, case by case basis. And, and it also depends on your, your comfort with risk and some people just don't like having debt. So some people want to chip away, you know, approach it kind of like consecutively. Hey, I owe this first. I pay this off first and I move on. That's okay too. It's just for me, it's an opportunity cost and there were better opportunities for my capital. Oh, well, thank you for sharing that. Um, and then any like advice that you would give to someone um, looking to buy their first property? Yes. Uh, advice. Again, with, with newbie, I think the, the cushion is huge. Um, I think she said six months, six months of expenses have saved. I, yeah, I, I echo that. I think that's like kind of plan on spending more, like ha have a cushion for money and have a cushion for time because things never go as fast as you think that they're going to go in terms of renovation. 
And, and also once renovation is complete, putting a tenant in there never goes as fast as you think it's going to go. Uh, so cushion for money and time. But the, the big things for me that were different from hers, I think are, um, I, I found myself becoming more and more comfortable being a problem solver. So it doesn't matter. Like even when I had this rock star partner, who's a construction project manager, there's always going to be other problems. And so it doesn't matter. Like you, you, you'll have problems that you can foresee and you'll have ones that are just going to pop up, but just be comfortable solving problems, getting in to the nitty gritty, rolling up your sleeves, doing the research. Um, I've got a million examples of that, but I, I think it's applicable as life advice, as well as real estate advice. You just, just get, get comfortable being uncomfortable and you're going to be fine because uh, 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 when a problem comes up, it's really just an opportunity to figure something else out. And then you're going to take that forward into your next opportunity and you already have, have kind of gone through it. So problem solving is huge. I think the next big thing for me, uh, advice is be very, very selective. So be selective in who you get your advice from. Be selective in, if you take on a mentor, be very selective. Don't just take on anybody and everybody, be selective. Be selective if you pick a partner. You need to vet these people out. Don't just take on the first person that's coming at you with cash because they may not make a good partner. So um, kind of like a, a funny uh, thing that I started doing with, with friends is I'll play, Robert Kiyosaki has this cash flow game which is basically like Monopoly on steroids. I don't know if you've played it or heard of it. I don't think so. It's, you got to play it. So we should actually play it sometime. We could play it virtually. On yes. <laughs> I would love that. Monopoly it, it, gets heated. So this sounds even more intriguing. Oh, th this is like, this is, this makes Monopoly like, uh, it looks like, I don't like, I don't even know how to, it's just Monopoly on steroids basically. Okay. And, uh, and it's a game that Robert Kiyosaki created. And this thing is really interesting because the whole point of the game is to create passive cash flow, passive income so that you can advance. And that's how you win in the game is, is you create the most passive, passive income. Like you get out of the rat race. That's this whole thing. And it's really interesting when I've played this with friends that are attorneys, real estate agents, other people in, in the finance industry and people outside of it. And I've actually found that the people that do the best at this game are people who are really street smart because you just think about things in a different kind of way. Um, it's more like you have more of a hustler mentality. And it's really interesting just to understand the psychology of the people that you're playing with. And sometimes if you find someone that, that kind of matches the way you think, that could end up being a good partner. And so they don't even know that they're getting vetted out by you and you're just playing a game, having some cocktails. Um, but so be selective mentor and your partner. And then if you get to the point where you are gonna do a rental property, be very, very selective with your tenants. Like I've, I've learned to just uh, even let the unit float vacant for months if I don't feel good about a tenant. And I think it comes from back in like the origin story for me with the triplex. Um, with the triplex property, my mom always lived in the back unit. So when I got old enough where she goes, run with it, you do the interviews for the new tenants. I always was meeting these people keeping in mind this, this man or woman is going to live next to my mother. Right. So when I'm thinking like that, I, I, I'm a little more aggressive about the questions that I ask more blunt, more straightforward. And I, I need to feel a certain way about the person that I can trust them, that they're not only going to respect the property, but they're also going to be respectful of the neighbors. 
neighbor being my mother. You know, what neighbor is more valuable than that? So that's kind of a mentality that I think I took forward into the property that the, the Lawndale property and now the other property that I own in Redondo Beach. I, when I'm talking to these tenants, I always, in the back of my mind, I'm like, okay, if my mom lived back here, do I like this person? Yes or no. And it really comes down to that. Do I trust this person? Yes or no. So be very selective. Uh, I think it's very important to network, always network. That's how I found both of my deals and both of my partners. That's how I got a really cool lender. That's how I have, you know, you need your general maintenance people from like plumbers, electricians, drywallers, painters, you name it, landscapers, you need to have a good network and you'll, you know, a good network will pay dividends because they're going to put good like-minded people in front of you. So that's, you have to have a good network and continue to network, you know, invest in that network, invest in the, in the people that, that take care of you, make sure you take care of them. Um, that, that, and, the, and then the last thing is just the experience is the best teacher. So I I'm not a good student at all. I got CPAs done, LMUs done, but I don't like to study. I don't like to read, but you'll never study or read more than when your dollar is on the line. You're going to read everything front and back 20 times because it's the best, it's the best teacher. And once, once you get into starting the process of a deal, you're going to just be a sponge. You're going to read everything. You're going to, you're going to want to make sure you don't make any mistakes. And it seems like a lot, but it's going to, it's going to be as naturally as breathing. You're just going to want to know everything about this because you don't want to mess it up. So don't, don't hold back, like get it, get, let this experience start, you know, like don't, don't waste the time. If you want to, if you want to jump in, jump in and you will swim. You're not going to sink. There's a big community out here. There's a lot of people that want other people to succeed. You know, there's enough for everybody. So get, just get going and, and start learning. So those are kind of the, those are the main like pieces of advice that I've got for people getting started. Um, such great advice. Thank you. And I think definitely kind of going back to that concept of a crash course and just jumping in and being ready to problem solve. Um, and I think a key thing is like having a mentor um, or even a network in real estate, like you were saying, any advice for someone that might not be working kind of in a professional setting in terms of real estate and how they can kind of start to network or find a mentor in the space? Oh, so people who aren't working in the space looking for a mentor, I think, well, you've got a cool community that's starting up. So I think this is a great place to check. Um, really, you got to You have to talk to people. It's I know it's tough because we're all isolated now in COVID and, you know, uh, what is it like six feet away from everybody and all this stuff. But you got to talk. I think that's kind of becoming like this lost art, just speaking and and expressing what your interests are. And, and you put that energy out in the universe and I think it will come back and, and stuff will find its way back to you. In terms of where you can go, um, I think there's a lot of online communities. I know Nuvi also mentioned Bigger Pockets is a huge community. Balsa is picking up. I think stuff like that's huge. I don't use it really at all, but I know that a lot of people had a ton of success with social media. In, follow people on Instagram that are doing DIY stuff or flips or you know, anything like that, I think there's a ton of content. That's, I mean, we, we got more content than we know what to do with. So it's all there, you know, get on the internet, go to, go to meetup groups. There's always some kind of local real estate meetup group where, you know, first time people can meet other first time people or mentors. Um, that's, 
that's kind of where I'd start. But but also what's kind of interesting is if you if you're in a certain neighborhood that you like and then, and you see a person outside, you know, talk, just talk to people. I've been walking down the street. I've been riding my bike and seen a, a really cool house. And then you see a guy watering the, the, the plants or whatever. And you, Hey, how's it going, man? What's up? And like, Hey, I really like blah, blah, blah. And you just get to talking and they love telling you stories about, you know, how they, how they got to where they are. Sometimes people don't want to be bothered, but I'm not saying go knocking on doors and bugging people, but I, you just got to talk. You gotta, you gotta open your mouth and, and, and meet people. Like people love to, love to tell you about how they kind of made it where they're at. I love that. And look at us, we're thousands of miles away and we still found a way to talk. So the Zoom world has opened up, I think also a lot, even more opportunities in a sense, which is pretty yeah, cool. Absolutely. Um, anything interesting or exciting that you've seen going on in the real estate world that, that you want to share with us? Uh, yeah. So there's, Man, uh, so I, I mentioned before, but that that VA loan product is really cool. I don't think it's new at all, but to me it was new. Um, that's super exciting. I think it makes it makes homes that seem like they were unattainable, you know, a little a little easier to get your head wrapped around. Um, something else that's going on in the space is the whole idea of auxiliary dwelling units. So this is a big thing that's been. It's, it's official and I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's here to stay, but um, to kind of combat the, the housing crisis and housing shortage, uh, a lot of law has been passed, especially in California, to allow uh, people to essentially um, construct these auxiliary units or convert uh, garages and whatnot into dwelling and inhabitable spaces. So this is really exciting because it, it creates an income kind of branch of a, of a property that maybe didn't exist before. I mean, this it's it's huge. It's kind of a game changer. Um, they've got the ADU and then they've got the junior ADU, which, so the ADU is like a detached structure and the junior one is, it's like an ADU, but it's, it's built within the original kind of footprint of the home. So both of these things are really cool because it just creates income opportunity. So you go and buy a, a single family home, it's almost like any single family home is essentially a duplex, right? Without, without all the competition, because you're not competing with investors, you're competing with, you know, single family home buyers. It's a different kind of demographic. Um, so that's, that's pretty uh, exciting and interesting. I think the uh, interest only products are, are interesting as I'm kind of like getting more into this thing and exploring other loan products, interest only is pretty, pretty interesting from a, from a standpoint of uh, creating arbitrage with uh, appreciation. So that's, that's pretty interesting to me. Something that I actually learned about on my CPE today that I threw in here last minute is, uh, so effectively, uh, it went into law in March of 2021, and it's, it's going to be in effect January 1, 2022, is for people who use that cash apps, Zelle, Venmo, Apple Pay, PayPal. Let me read this, make sure I'm getting it right. Yeah. So effective, effective January 1, 2022, if you receive uh, over $600 in aggregate payments on a cash app, you're going to receive a 1099K. Wow. So, so the IRS is now tracking the, those transactions of money. And so to tie this into real estate, I know that there, that I've done it too, where your tenants will pay you, you know, uh, via Venmo, via Zelle, via Apple Pay, whatever. 
or also if there's like a repair and maintenance, you know, plumber, electrician, landscaper, they're taking Venmo now too. Well, if you're paying them and an aggregate for the entire year, if they've received 600 or more, they're going to get this 1099K. So now it's the threshold was $20,000 or 200 plus transactions. Now there's no oh, minimum wow. transaction and it's 600 bucks. So this is going to kind of reshape, I think, the way that these monies are flowing. I thought that was super interesting today. Um, so good to know, you know, going forward that it's just, you just, you just got to be aware of what's going on so that you're, you know, you're prepared. Yes. Um, so that, that stuff's pretty interesting. There's some more, there's, some, there's some tax, some hard tax stuff that I'm not going to bore you with <laughs> um, some kind of cool credits and stuff going on. So we don't, we don't got to go down that road, but there's always, there's always really kind of interesting, exciting stuff going on with real estate. You know me, I'm also a CPA, so love, love anything tax and accounting, but I can't say everyone else does. So we'll, we'll leave that for us. Um, any new investments on the horizon, maybe some ADUs, anything fun like that coming up? Yeah. So for me, I'm looking at uh, principal residence with ADU option right now is, is always kind of like, I'm constantly trolling Redfin and Zillow and just seeing what's out there. It's pretty crazy right now, even with all the little tricks and workarounds that I've got. It's 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 kind of the wild west right now and stuff is stuff goes on market and it's gone in five days and it's always going tens of thousands of dollars over over asking price. So yeah, it might be a little bit of a waiting game. A, a thing that that I'm looking into more um, that that I help my parents get into is is out of state investing. There's some pretty cool opportunities out of state. And I think that there's probably some pretty cool opportunities um, doing syndic syndicated deals. So you just kind of pool resources with one or two people. Um, and that's where that whole kind of goes back to good network, having good partners, people that you trust that are on the same page and have the same kind of financial profile as you do. But there's a lot of good um, opportunities, I think, out of state where you can still put your money to work in a market that doesn't have as high of a barrier to entry. And so that way you can still participate in real estate, even though California is kind of crazy right now. It doesn't mean you have to stop. You just have to kind of change, change the way you're looking at things uh, for now and just keep, uh, stay lean and keep moving. Will you plan to partner with people in the state or will you kind of diligence from California or still figuring that out? Um, I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of grassroots and I like to, I like to work with people that I actually know. So like, I would probably, um, circle back to my, I've got a couple of buddies that want, that have been talking about doing stuff like this. And for me, it's, it's nice because I have the blueprint from my parents because they, um, they did what's called, uh, self-directed, uh, IRA. And so they essentially were able to take some retirement monies and use those to invest in real estate and still have the tax deferred on that. And so I got to get like a sneak peek at um, different out-of-state property management companies, ones I liked, ones I didn't like and why. Same thing with markets, like, don't like and why. And I've kind of put together my like favorites of all these things and, and understood it a little better. So I got to kind of look behind the curtain, um, but I think I'll, I'll probably um connect with some with some friends here and, and do some stuff like that coming up if if california stays as high as it is and there just doesn't make sense to get into something right now cool well i'm excited to hear what comes next for you yeah um, me too 
And then anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners? Um, gosh, I think like, I just think what you're doing is super cool. Um, you know, number one fan, self-proclaimed, self-proclaimed. You will always be the number one fan. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Well, thank you so much for joining today and sharing a lot of your tips and your story. Um, I think a big part of this community is hearing from people like you with boots on the ground um, and kind of sharing how you're getting onto the property ladder. Um, It's a huge part of what we're doing at Balsa. So thank you so much again for doing this podcast. This was so fun.